KBLA Talk 1580. I swear I wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally where the wind blew me. That's the name of the song by Andre 3000 for those of us who haven't had a chance to listen yet uh, to the album. I'm so excited to welcome into the space with this uh, amazing flute walk on music and author of more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. He's got the Moore's Professorship of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's got a Ph.D. in history from Columbia, a J.D. from UC Berkeley, and a B.A. from Princeton. Dr. Joe Horn, good morning. Thank you for inviting me. You know, we, we've been arguing about, well, not arguing, discussing Andre 3000's flute album. So I thought we'd, you know, make it your walk-on music. <laughs> uh have you heard it? This, this is my first time hearing any of it. Do you like it? Do you think it's an amazing move or an abandonment of his fans? <laughs> no, I think it's reminiscent, actually, of Pharaoh Sanders. Really? Pharaoh Sanders and the late uh, Alice Coltrane. In, in, in terms of the use of this sort of ethereal music, the bells, the various sounds, uh, I, I like it. I mean, as I said, I, I like Alice Coltrane, I like Pharaoh Sanders, and I like Andre. Yeah, see that and uh, take it from the definitely the most powerful scholar in Texas. <laughs> that's a southern that's a southern cosine right there, Doctor Horn. Um, how are you doing? Oh, you know, working as usual. Yeah, it's just it's just it feels very intense in the world right now. Um, you always talk about, or you often talk about the things that could lead to World War III. We've discussed it in relation to China, in relation to Ukraine, and certainly what we see unfolding with Israel right now uh, and Hamas and, you know, and the West Bank and all the surrounding areas. It seem, feels very precarious in that sense too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Particularly in light of what's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours. The ally of Iran, and therefore of Hamas, speaking of the so-called Houthis in Yemen, have hijacked a ship that they say belongs to an Israeli billionaire. And previous to that, they had been trying to shoot missiles from Yemen uh, into southern Israel. Likewise, the ally of Iran, speaking of Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, has virtually destroyed an Israeli base in northern Israel. Uh, needless to say, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has blamed this on Iran, because I think that many in Israel feel that the only way Israel can escape this crisis is somehow to lure the United States into this conflict on their side, and not only uh, help to destroy Hezbollah, perhaps destroy the Houthis, but also the big enchilada, speaking of Iran. But that's more than a notion. Iran has just unveiled a new missile. Uh, we also see that the United States is in a precarious position because already there are boycotts being launched against U.S. corporations like Coca-Cola, for example, because of U.S. Uh, support and solidarity with Israel. And so this has led uh, to this sharp division and fracturing in the United States itself. Uh, I'm sure you're following what's happening on campuses, yeah. what's happening with regard to the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman and Andre Carson of Indiana, Corey Bush of St. Louis, Summer Lee of Pennsylvania. 
and how they're calling for a ceasefire and therefore are inviting primary challenges uh, funded by the Zionist lobby. And, of course, uh, there is the, frankly, uh, anti-Jewish expressions by Elon Musk, which has unnerved many, but he has managed to uh, mollify the Zionist lobby by saying that he's going to ban on X or Twitter the phrase decolonization and the phrase from the river to the sea, which is a Palestinian slogan. Uh, I thought he was a free speech absolutist. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot in, in what you just said. I mean, that right there is like an entire show. Um, I want to, I want to kind of unpack a couple of the things you, you talked about Yemen, um, lobbying, uh, you know, attacking Israel, um, why, why is Yemen, uh, you know, yeah, I get the allyship, but why is Yemen jumping into the fray? Don't they have enough problems of their own, um, with, you know, their, their own war? Well, previously they were in conflict with the Saudis. Right. But in light of the fact that China brokered an entente, a kind of peace agreement between the Saudis and their purported sponsors, speaking of Iran, there's less pressure on the Yemenis. And you need to realize, and I'm sure you do, that on the so-called Arab street, there's a lot of unrest. In fact, one of the unforeseen consequences of this Palestinian crisis might be to shake some of these monarchies, particularly in Morocco, which had established diplomatic relations with Israel, and now their folks are on the streets, in Bahrain, which had done the same. And so I think that the Yemenis are just responding to popular pressure. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So that China, uh, I guess, I guess they would probably consider it a diplomatic triumph, right? That China um, deal is holding, and that oh, absolutely, yeah. So that creates, like you said, less pressure, so folks can jump in, and that, and you you bring this up, this kind of um, warming of relations between Israel and the more wealthy um, Arab nations is definitely um, under duress with the, with what's happening in Gaza and the West Bank, right? Well, yeah, Israel is in real trouble because it's going to be next to impossible to destroy Hamas, which is their stated goal. Not only because, as is well known, Hamas is dug in underground in the so-called Gaza metro, these hundreds of miles of underground tunnels, but Hamas also exists abroad. There are Hamas forces in Mexico and really? UK and South America. There might even be some in the United States of America, believe it or not. And so, and of course, there was an article in the press the other day about Hamas basically being financed from Istanbul in Turkey or Turkey. And of course, Turkey, Turkey has been a staunch critic of, of Israel. So this goal of destroying Hamas probably will not be realized. The problem in Israel is that in some ways the populace is on fire as a result of October 7th. In some ways, is the Arab street is driving the response by states like Yemen. The Israeli street <laughs> is helping to propel uh, Mr. Netanyahu. And of course, he'll, he's probably a dead man walking in the sense that 
soon as this conflict ends, he'll have to face the music and may go to jail, which then gives him an incentive to continue and escalate the conflict. Right. Yeah, it's very Trumpian in that way. Um, you know, you say that they're on fire because of October 7th, because of that attack. Do you think that, though, erases the, you know, the the things that put Israelis in the street to protest against Netanyahu in unprecedented numbers earlier this year? Well, as the United Nations Secretary General has said, and he came under fire for this, October 7th did not occur in a, a vacuum. I mean, October 7th was not day one of humanity. Uh, October 7th, in many ways, was a response to 1947, 1948, and the Nakba, the catastrophe, and the pushing out of many Palestinians of their homes and what is today's uh, Israel. And with regard to the folks in the street before October 7th, it, it was very curious that uh, they were not necessarily protesting against enhanced settlements on the West Bank and Palestinian soil. Uh, it was an uh, inter-Israeli dispute. About, right, about uh, their Supreme Net- Court, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. but I mean, and, but even even knowing that October 7th happens, you know, as part of this ongoing war conflict uh, going back to 1948, it, it doesn't make it justified. I mean, you, you, do, you don't get to kill civilians. You, you, don't, you don't get to do that, whether you're Hamas, whether you're the IDF, you don't get to just kill civilians. I, I'm sure, you know, I, th- I think it's understandable why, you know, the Israeli public would be up in arms about that. The question really has to do with exactly what you're saying. Is, is that, you know, that march, which was those marches, which really seem to be in support of, uh, you know, saving their democracy is it indicative of uh, you know a more uh, more of a willingness or an understanding that there has to be real sovereignty for palestine there has to be they have to um a two-state solution doesn't mean you know you get to control the other state it means an autonomous sovereign nation next door well that is the stated position (laughs) position in washington right now of president biden uh, there's been a, a kind of head fake on the part of the Israeli authorities when they give lip service to the idea of a two-state solution, solution, but then do everything in their power to avoid it, such as building these settlements that hardly raises an outcry. And with regard to October 7th and its aftermath, uh, pay attention to the fact that South Africa, which has one of the largest, if not the largest Jewish populations on the African continent, nonetheless has made a referral to the International Criminal Court with regard to the bombing of civilians by Israel. Now, President Ramaphosa, even though he says he found what Hamas did on October 7th, quote, abhorrent, unquote, he's made no such referral with regard to Hamas to the International Criminal Court. And I think that that probably ties into the point that folks under occupation, under international law, in many ways, have quite a bit of flexibility in how they respond to that occupation, just like Nat Turner in 1831. He killed civilians as well. But I doubt if, under international law, looking retrospectively, we would say he should be prosecuted for violating international law. Well, 
I mean, that's a tough question because then you get into, you know, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist, um, which is, you know, then you get into the role of the media and the way we as nations uh, decide which sides to take. Um, I, you know, I, I would stand on the fact that, you know, regardless of the occupation, the October 7th was, was problematic and wrong. Um, that said, though, what's what's going on right now, I, I just I feel like I don't know. W- let me ask you this. When when you read Biden's op ed, what did you walk away with? I mean, he's talking about the situation. He got a lot of praise in the mainstream media because, as you said, he he points out that there should be a two state solution. But I feel it, it's I, to me, it wasn't I didn't see movement in his position. Did you? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I think that the idea of a two-state solution, which, by the way, has been subjected to an immense amount of lip service right. on both sides of the Atlantic in, in recent years, uh, I'm not sure if the Israeli populace, certainly not the ruling party led by Mr. Netanyahu, are willing to accede to a two-state solution. It's not clear if Hamas is willing to accede to that today, although a few years ago they indicated that they were interested in a long-term truce, which was a de facto uh, two-state solution. With regard to the Palestinian Authority, which rules on the West Bank, uh, they say that they're in favor of that, but their reputation is rather threadbare amongst their populace because of corruption. And so what's curious in the United States is that uh, this idea of one state, a binational state where all rights are respected, which you would think would be consistent with the rhetoric of the United States, has been set aside to the point where Congressman, Congresswoman Tlaib of Michigan was censured by her colleagues for unveiling this slogan from the river to the sea, which has been interpreted in a wrong-headed fashion, in my opinion, as calling not only for a destruction of Israel, but liquidation of Jewish people, when In fact, it could be interpreted as saying that Palestine, which exists on the west bank of the Jordan River, the west bank, to the sea, Gaza, on the Mediterranean Sea, should be free. Or it could be interpreted as calling for a binational state of all the people. In other words, everyone everyone is in the state of Israel or the state of Israel, Palestine. Everyone has rights. Everyone has autonomy and free movement. uh, and, And it didn't have to be two states. Correct. But as I said, that particular proposal may be overtaken by events because it's difficult to see folks in the Israeli population opting for a binational state. So in a sense, we're sort of stuck right now, which means we have to pay attention to external events. And in that regard, pay attention to the delegation of the Arab League in Beijing in the last 24 hours. Uh, there's going to be an ordinate pressure on the United States to not only accede to a ceasefire, but also to do other measures that right now uh, seem impossible, such as, for example, a curtailing of arms shipments to Israel. Yeah. We're talking to Dr. Joe Horn. We we do have a lot to cover. I mean, uh, you mentioned U.S. being pulled into this war. I feel like we're already in it, but I want to... Uh, go further with what you mean by that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. 
The station you turn to when you've had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. Talking with uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, 800-920-1580. If you want to get in on the conversation, you mentioned that... um, you feel like, you know, Israel is on the ropes. They want to pull the United States into this uh, conflict. But since we supply them so much money and we're even raising that money, uh, raising the, the, the uh, you know, expenditure even more, um, what, a tripling or quadrupling it, um, many of those weapons, you know, being used on Gaza are U.S. weapons. Aren't we already involved? Absolutely. And if you follow certain blogs by former CIA agents like Larry Johnson, for example, who now has become quite dovish in his retirement, he says that his sources tell him that with regard to U.S. military hospitals, Ramstein in Germany, Walter Reed outside of, in, in the Washington, D.C. area, that there are U.S. soldiers trickling into those facilities with injuries that are suspected of being caused uh, in that theater. Now, of course, that theater could include the U.S. forces improperly sighted in Syria, which has been subjected to bombing by Israel in recent days, U.S. forces uh, in Iraq, for example, U.S. forces in Turkey, Turkey. Recall that there was a massive demonstration on the NATO base uh, in Turkey just a week or so ago. So, yes, the United States is already involved. The question is, how deep will the involvement go? Right. So when you when you say showing up at Walter Reed, me, it, the implication is that, that they could have been in Gaza or they could have been in Israel. They, they could have been a number of other places that you mentioned, but they also could be directly involved on the ground there. Well, and we already know that top-level U.S. officials have been in and out of Israel. I mean, it wasn't just Joe Biden giving Netanyahu a bear hug on the tarmac of an Israeli airport, uh, all manner of U.S. Uh, officialdom have been in and out of Israel advising them with regard to this very difficult and nettlesome problem of how do you route thousands of fighters out of tunnels. Now, the United States has had experience with that. One of the reasons why the United States lost in Vietnam was because the Vietnamese had built similarly miles of tunnels that flummoxed the U.S. effort to defeat them. And so that kind of counsel is valued very highly by the Israelis right now. Mm. Yeah, um, let's go to Dee calling us from Long Beach. Good morning, Dee. Good morning, Dominique. Good morning, Dr. Gerald Blow Your Horn. To put it succinctly, Donald J. Trump is good for me, but bad for black America and ultimately bad for peace. He should never have moved the embassy uh, from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It sends the wrong signal. If and only if I'm a one-issue candidate, it would, it would be for free health care, which is why I rebranded to a Roosevelt Republican. Which Roosevelt? Both, actually. Um, if I were a two-issue can- uh, uh, voter, it would be... Uh, it, it would be because... Uh, he would light a fire under black people and black men in particular to find a solution to this miserable circumstances in which we find ourselves. Okay. I want to have Dr. Horn respond. When you say DJT is good for you, you're talking about because of your finances. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about my finances. Okay. Yes, 
All right. So let Dr. Horn, D said a bunch of things. Well, I'm not sure how to respond. With regard to Jerusalem, I agree with that point. In fact, you may notice that on Al Jazeera, which is, has ratings going through the roof in light of October 7th because of dissatisfaction with MSNBC, CNN, etc., when they have reporters reporting from Jerusalem, the tagline is occupied Jerusalem, believe it or not, which you will not find on Fox, MSNBC, or CNN. With regard to health care, I agree with that as well. Uh, the health care system in this United States of America, which eats up about 17 percent of the economy, uh, is, is obviously uh, insufficient uh, on the basis of not only not serving the masses, but particularly being unhelpful and unhealthy for the black population. There have been a number of books lately written about health disparities. Uh, with regard to how black people are maltreated and mistreated in the medical care system. So I agree with the caller with regard to the health care system as well. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to go back to a couple of other things that, that keep coming up when it, when it comes to um, situation in the Middle East. A lot of people are, are talking about, um, well, oil. Is, is oil playing a role here? There's supposed to be oil off the coast of, uh, of Gaza. Well, natural gas off the coast of, of Gaza, but since the Israelis, in a sense, already have jurisdiction over Gaza, I'm not sure if that's the motive force with regard to this present conflict. There's also been talk about the Israelis seeking to build a canal. The right, the Ben-Gurion, yeah, yeah which then would cut through the occupied territories. It would also deliver a blow to Egypt, which Israel is upset right now because they would not accept uh, thousands of Palestinians being shipped into the Sinai Desert. And uh, the Egyptians uh, garner billions of dollars every year from the Suez Canal. So there are multiple reasons for this conflict on both sides of the equation. Yeah. When you talk about, you know, one of the things that um, worries me about uh, President Biden's approach um, right now is that he says there can be no uh, real end to the war until we until Israel destroys Hamas. And to me, that seems um, like saying the war will go on forever, because, I mean, I, I do think the comparison to the Taliban is an apt one, you know, um, where you had, you know, Netanyahu cooperating with Hamas to a point and then, you know, finding himself in, in a terrible conflict with them, much like the United States and the Taliban, except for that we spent trillions, you know, and and we did not defeat the Taliban. So why would we say, expect that Israel would have a better outcome than we would in completely eradicating uh, a, a you know a group that we've designated as a terrorist group and why do the civilians on the ground have to constantly sacrifice until we can reach this goal it, it is a real head scratcher with regard to this alleged goal of defeating the top uh, excuse me defeating uh, Hamas. excuse me dr horn I, I lost track of the time we got news traffic and sports i'm going to get your response to that when we come forward on kbla talk 1580 more of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. 
At KBLA Talk 1580, we do more than just talk. You got a big mouth. Hello, Joe, you're up. Welcome. We're unapologetically progressive, and we don't black down. Dr. Gerald Horn is leading the KBLA delegation right now. You know, when you're not on the air uh, for any short period of time, people ask for you, Dr. Horn. They ask for you in the DMs. They ask for you on the phone. What does Dr. Horn say about this? That's what I've titled uh, today's show. What does Dr. Horn have to say about it? So we really appreciate uh, you taking time out and spending it with us and tell us, about the books and, you know, where to find the books. I want to make sure we always support you just as you've uh, supported us over the years. Well, I'm happy to report that on February 3rd, just a few months from now, I'll be in Lamert Park. It's a Saturday doing a book launch of my latest books. Just stay tuned to my Facebook or Instagram in order to get the details. But in any case, uh, the new books are... Acknowledging Radical Histories, which is a conversation between myself and a younger historian, and I Dare Say, which is a reader, a compilation of articles and essays I've written in the past few decades. And next year, I'm publishing a book on Southern California, on the Panthers in particular, Mm. but radicalism generally uh, in the 20th century. Yeah, prolific is an understatement for you. So hopefully, Dr. Horn, that means you'll stop by and visit us, and we'll be live on the YouTubes together, reunited on YouTube uh, on, in the KBLA studio. Reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so points of clarification here. You talked about the Ben-Gurion Canal um, <clears throat> and the oil, and the point that Israel already controls Gaza, does that mean that those are that the canal is also a moot point as far as a motivation for what's happening now? I think the canal might be a moot point, but mostly for political reasons. As I said, and, and as many people have recognized, Israel is really fighting for its existence as a state right now. Uh, there's no guarantee that the present configuration of Israel can survive this present crisis. And so the idea of building a canal that would challenge Egypt, I think that that's... Politically fantasy. fraught, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, you know, um, the, the, the talking, there's so many talking points um, that, you know, and, and when it comes to this particular conflict that um, are really hard to navigate because they're a combination of things that are true and things that are misleading. Um, And I'll give you an example. Israel has a right to defend itself. Of course they do. Every sovereign nation has a right to defend themselves. But um, the reason that I say it's fraught is because, you know, it's it's somehow um, makes people think that if we do not support the bombing, that means, you know, the bombing of Gaza, that means that we automatically don't support Israel's right to exist. And to me, that's nonsensical. Not only nonsensical, but it was actually uh, an issue. Recall the demonstration that took place in Washington just a few days ago, where Van Jones, the yeah. liberal black CNN commentator, was liberal? rooted down. <laughs> Is he liberal, though? <laughs> well, that's just shorthand. I mean, uh, <laughs> we, could, we could go into a whole essay on uh, Van Jones. Okay, sorry. 
Yeah. He, he would tone it down because he right. said, I'm a man of peace. And people hooted him down, said, right. no ceasefire, no ceasefire. And also on the platform was this so-called Christian Zionist, whose theology suggests that uh, he is not opposed to an apocalypse uh, in Israel, because I guess he feels that that will lead to a, a second coming of right. his Lord Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, etc., and he shared a platform with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the mega, mega speaker Michael Johnson. So the pro-Israel, pro-Zionist lobby really needs to check themselves. I, I just, I guess, what I'm, I'm trying to get to is some understanding about you know some of, some of the things that are confusing for people, and it's really a lot. Um, I know people say it's a complex issue, and the pushback is no, it's not complex. Um, but what I'm saying is that I think some of these, like what you were saying about from the river, from the river to the sea, we talked about it at length on this show. For people that say it, um, that are you know, not Hamas, they're talking about, um, they say they are talking about Palestinians having equal rights, autonomy, and the freedoms that we all cherish throughout uh, that area, throughout Israel, throughout, and, and, you know, in Palestine. And again, this idea that that means the destruction of the Israeli state, um, I don't think that's what people i don't think that's what most people who say that are calling for and i don't think that that's what congresswoman to was calling for and she no. was the person who was censured and with regard to your prior point uh, states have the right to defend themselves but there is international law with regard to the inappropriate nature of killing civilians and to this point uh, israel has killed thousands of civilians heavily women and children and uh, that is one of the reasons why South Africa has made a referral to the International Criminal Court. I mean, we're, we're over 11,000 right now, right? Well over 11,000, which is insane. And, of course, that referral has been joined by Colombia, or the country on the northern coast of South America, and Algeria, probably will be joined by others as well. And then the Center for Constitutional Rights, a public interest law firm in Manhattan, has filed the lawsuit against the Biden administration claiming that they've abdicated their responsibility to adhere to the Genocide Convention, which, of course, uh, if the Biden administration chooses to ignore that lawsuit, which is likely, then that'll be grist for the mill for the International Criminal Court, which could then charge the U.S. administration with being aiders and abettors and accomplices with regard to these uh, putative violations of international law by Israel. All right, I want to hit these phones really quick. We've got uh, Morris calling from Inglewood. Good morning, Morris. Good morning to everyone within the sound of my voice. Good morning, Dr. Horn. You know you've been in Florida. I got a question for you. Why is it that uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan refers to uh, contemporary Jewish people as being imposters? I'll take your response on the air, off the air. Thank you, Oh, sir. boy. Okay, thanks, Morris. <laughs> Well, you'd have to ask uh, Mr. Farrakhan why he does that. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'd I just point you in that direction. Right. So in the middle of all this conversation, see, that's what I'm talking about, people getting confused and caught up. There's all of these other, um, I guess, debates or threads about, you know, who are the real Jews and blah, blah, blah. And some... 
anti and some real anti-Jewish sentiment or anti-Semitism that comes out. um, We were talking about this earlier um, out of people conflating the Jewish religion or the Jewish people with the Israeli government. Well, if you look at the demonstrations, the tying up of Grand Central Station in Manhattan, the siege of the DNC in Washington just a few days ago, the attempt to stop a ship from leaving the port of Oakland to Israel with military materiel, oftentimes these demonstrations are led by Jewish Voice for Peace, which obviously is a Jewish organization. And one of those that's been banned from Harvard and other campuses. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I I do think it's important to be really clear that, you know, anti-Jewish rhetoric, behavior, thought, conspiracy theories are wrong, no matter how terrible the policies of Benjamin Netanyahu are. Well, with regard to defending the Palestinians and critiquing Mr. Netanyahu as the past 45 minutes have shown, we have a lot of ammunition already without descending into conspiracy theories, descending into anti-Jewish fervor and the like. As a matter of fact, I think that we should try to steer clear of that because it's not yeah. necessary. Well, and it's also wrong, and it's not necessary. And it, it, I think it, it makes things blurry. You know, that's why I keep, I say Netanyahu is their Trump, but really, I, I think it was you who said he's far worse than even the 45th president. Oh, clearly. I mean, I mean, Netanyahu makes Trump seem like a left-wing radical. <laughs> If you if you look at some of the members of his cabinet, for example, uh, they've been trafficking in on this side of the Atlantic what we would call Ku Klux Klan type language. Uh, these are folks who support the killings in the West Bank. In fact, because we've understandably been riveted on what's happening in Gaza, as we speak on the West Bank, the other part of Palestinian territory, there's been a reign of terror. Of late. As a matter of fact, there was an article in the New York Times a few days ago about how the United States is shipping rifles to Israel that are then being handed over to settlers who then use them against Palestinians, uh, trying to chase them off their land. This is taking place as we speak, uh, this kind of reign of terror. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, yeah, but in, in Joe Biden's op-ed, he does mention the settlers, um, but he equates Russia... Putin and Hamas, um, you know, as Hamas, um, as if Hamas is to uh, Palestine, what Putin is to Ukraine. And that all of this to me, it just makes it more and more confusing. Um, But I think despite all of that, and, you know, even despite some confusion, the American people and the White House are not on the same page. I want to get your reactions uh, to what you think the implications are uh, for the Biden administration um, when we come forward, the elections on KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. We knew you'd stick around. This is LA's home for Progressive Talk Radio. Be heard. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. 
talking with Dr. Gerald Horn. I'm sorry to, uh, to, to cut you off there. I, I, you know, sometimes I get caught up in the conversation with you, Dr. Horn. And there's so, so much uh, to cover here. Um, and, you know, you, you read, what, seven papers or more every single day. Yes, and there's a lot right now uh, on YouTube in particular with regard to this crisis. Uh, I won't mention any sources, although people can email me and I'll be happy to tell them. <laughs> they can just, or they can just look at where, where I, what I say on uh, my various YouTube occurrences as well. And, and I think that's understandable because, as you said at the top, this crisis could trigger World War III. And the attempt by Israel to lure the United States into this conflict in order to bombard Iran, and that's not beyond the realm of possibility, could be that trigger. Now, you mentioned Mr. Biden's op-ed. Yeah. And what's interesting there is just like our conversation this morning, we've talked mostly about Israel-Palestine, although the op-ed also dealt with the Ukraine. Right. And I think that one of the reasons we talk mostly about Israel-Palestine is not only because of all these demonstrations that have broken out from the Atlantic to the Pacific, but also I think that this Ukraine crisis is reaching to a conclusion with the Zelensky government facing defeat. And I think that that's the import of all of these articles that have appeared. You might have heard of the Time magazine piece where his staff referred to Mr. Zelensky as delusional. Uh, he's in a sniping war with his generals who fired back in The Economist, the British-based weekly, where they suggested that the crisis, the war is not going very well because of Mr. Zelensky, a former TV comic, his interference in their plans. And then the Washington Post, <laughs> before that, had an article a week or two ago that suggested that the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia into Germany it was always a mystery who did it. The sources from Zelensky's office say that it's his general who he's in the sniping war with who actually committed this crime. And so the Zelensky ship is sinking. The visits to Kiev of Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin, CIA Chief Bill Burns, probably won't arrest that crisis. And it's going to be a devastating blow to NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that will have manifold consequences. Um, that it's just making my head explode right now. So, and what's the way forward for the U.S. in that situation? I mean, it, it's, it seems like we just love to get bogged down in, in endless, um, hopeless situation one, you know, one after another. Well, if you read between the lines of the reporting on the Burns and Austin trip, you'll easily come to the conclusion that Washington is trying to nudge Zelensky into negotiating with Russia. It reminds me of these cowboy movies where the cowboy backs out of the saloon with both guns blazing. And so the United States is trying to back out of the saloon, but not trying to give an indication that they're pulling the plug on Zelensky, which is precisely what they're doing. Uh, because that will not be a good look going into this November election, 2024, uh, despite the fact that many conservatives in the U.S. Senate in particular 
have turned against this idea of further aid to Ukraine. Yeah, and, and the American people are turning against it, too, by the way. It's not just the conservatives. I mean, I think the public opinion on, you know, a, a, a blank check, I think, is, is the problem uh, because of the economic pressure that people are facing. Well, I paid attention to that public service announcement. I think it was your voice with regard to having people drop off coats and blankets right. uh, to your studio mm-hmm. or the unhoused. And so it's rather anomalous, to put it mildly, that we're talking about this unhoused crisis. At the same time, billions of dollars are found to ship to a sinking enterprise in Ukraine. There's something wrong with that picture. Yeah, even though, again, I mean, it's it would be hypocritical to say, you support sovereignty for Palestine and not support sovereignty for Ukraine. If we're going to respect people's right to self-govern and have control of their own borders and resources, um, we have to be consistent, right? <laughs> but the, I know but that sounds laughable, is, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does in this era of hypocrisy and double standards, which we just made reference to with regard to the crisis in Palestine. But in any case, the question is, why is it the United States government has to be the enforcer of international law? Right. That's not how international law is supposed to work. Uh, yeah. who, who appointed the United States to be the world's policeman? Well, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact wording in the op-ed by Biden. He says we are the something nation that, that you know, everybody looks to, which sounds a little bit like, you know, what, a combo of manifest destiny and American exceptionalism uh, with a new term, or maybe it's not new. I'm just not paying attention. Um, we are that special nation that ev- that ha- has to fix everything, is pretty much what he says. And we would be remiss if we failed to mention that the stock prices of corporations like Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, the military-industrial complex, they're going through the roof because Mm. shipping weapons to Israel, shipping weapons to Ukraine, shipping weapons to Taiwan, uh, they come from somewhere. It's the essential nation. That's what he says. The United States is the essential nation. Yeah, they come from here, right? Right. Right. Exactly. And so if you're invested in those corporations, you're making out like a bandit right now which obviously gives you an incentive to then make campaign donations to politicians who will continue these policies, irrespective of the downside risk that it poses, not least World War III. And, but yet the American people seem to have uh, a different viewpoint, or at least the ones in the streets do. Um, I think this is going to have significant implications for the 2024 election. Is, is, Biden, are, is the Biden-Harris administration going to pay a price for their foreign policy um, in, in the 2024 election? That is a distinct possibility. You might have seen the latest polls that suggest that its population, popularity rating is about 40. And you might have also paid attention to the Democratic Party conference in Sacramento this past weekend. Which was shut down. Where not only was it shut down, but Congresswoman Barbara Lee found her voice and came out for a ceasefire, uh, which set her aside from Congressman uh, Adam Schiff, Congresswoman Katie Porter, uh, who were not as bold as she was. The question is, will that give a boost to her flagging campaign?
Mm. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. I mean, I think she needs a boost of dollars. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think it's just the positions. I think it's a boost of dollars that's needed. We just got a couple minutes here before we uh, hand off to um, to Tavis Smiley. Um, what would you like to share with us this morning? You have any good news, Doctor Horn? <laughs> Anything that's inspiring well, you? Well, just this past weekend, there was a meeting in Ghana on reparations involving not only Africans, but a sizable delegation from the United States as well. At the same time, uh, Chancellor Schultz of Berlin was in Nigeria, and he was being peppered with questions about reparations to Namibia. Recall that the first genocide of the 20th century came at the hands of the Germans against the Nama and Arero people of then German Southwest Africa, not to mention what happened in German East Africa, now Tanzania, where there were also tens of thousands massacred. And uh, even though Berlin has paid reparations to Israel, even though Israel was in existence in 1945 when the Holocaust was concluding, uh, Berlin has been unenthusiastic, shall we say, about uh, <laughs> doling out reparations with regard to Africa. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite stunning. Um, Maybe we'll do a whole show about it one day. Dr. Gerald Horn, congratulations on your two books coming out and your visit to Lamert Park. We look forward to seeing you in February. I look forward to seeing you all as well. And Tavis Smiley is up next. Man, time flies when you're on the radio. Call me tomorrow if you didn't get through today. I always want to talk to you or hit me up on social media, KBLA 1580 on every platform. I'm at DePrima Radio, D-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then Radio uh, yep. And, um, the, uh, quote for today, well, I'm going to go to my dad cause I didn't, I don't have one written down. A man is either free or he's not free. There can be no apprenticeship for freedom until tomorrow. One love.